now there's a new hotel that's next door, and they used part of our parking lot for their valet. Okay. And I want to be like, <laughs> for a hundred a week, you guys can use my spot too. You know, like, that would be great. This passive income. Yeah, I don't know if that's legal. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, there's that. <laughs> awesome man well dude thank you for being available to to chat about communication yeah no totally um just to give a quick little like intro to why i'm handing this off to you is you sent me a text yesterday that was like hey you talked about joke structure in like 15 seconds of one episode of your podcast (laughs) which i knew exactly what it was because i received like 20 messages but when i was on the mitchell lamar episode he said something i said hey can i fix that joke real fast and I tore it apart and put it back together to be like, and that's how you can present it. Mm. And a lot of people who want to do comedy or some of that do were like, dude, that was actually pretty amazing. you like kind of really just broke that down really fast. Yeah. yeah and so yeah. when you're like, I want you to break it down slower. Um, <laughs> I was like, okay, but I want to record it then. Yeah. Slower for us mortals uh, who have to work at this, but maybe, maybe that's the, that's the fallacy, right? Is that, you too have to work on this. This is a discipline. No, this is a disorder. <laughs> <laughs> it's my broken lens, how I see the world. Is that what it is? It's not so much that it's a broken lens on how I see the world. It's I don't believe I'm a likable person if I can't get the laugh every oh, like wow. 30 seconds to a minute. It's completely on insecurity. Okay. <laughs> got it. Got it. So it's well, at least, at least you're, that- yeah, you're leaning into it, which is cool. I don't have a choice. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like if I don't, I'm hateable. Like this is, this is my Oh my gosh. Okay. But here's, are we start, first of all, are we starting? I know some of your podcasts ask, is this the thing? So are are we starting? Cause I was going to start chronologically a little bit. Okay. Let's start chronologically. Okay. Well, okay. So I asked this the last time I was on your podcast and thank you for having me on that. That was an honor. Mm -hmm. Um, But this whole thing about the disorder uh, not a discipline. I feel like you had that even in high school. So I don't want to like rehash yeah. too much about the high school thing, but that's when I just remember my ears perked up when I looked over and you probably, I can't even remember what you said, but it was something witty and funny. And so how did you develop that at such an early age? Um, because I had the disorder my whole life. <laughs> so mm. it was like, a, if I was going to speak up in class, I had mm. to, to get the hit, you know, like, so what all the dopamine chasing that people do now on social media, yeah, I've been doing in conversation my whole life with like, I needed to know that they liked it. And there's no mm. way to know that they liked it without the laugh. Mm. And I don't mind if I do a joke and fail. I've never minded that. Because you go, oh, no, yeah, this person just won't like me. My only tool of likability just doesn't work <laughs> on this person. But it, I have to present the possibility of likability. Okay, but what about what was the, your first? Um, when did you first come aware of of that as a as a viable tool for likability? Like, because obviously you had it in high school. I mean, was do you remember when when the light, when was the light bulb, the aha moment, where like, oh, that's what that is? No, I don't remember not thinking that. Wow. Okay, I'm telling you, so it's, it's like asking me, like, disorder. do you remember when you realized you were Mexican? I'm like, yeah, my whole yes. life. Okay, exactly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Until I got this trash dash, that's when I finally realized that. I mean, I'll go as far as to say that I know that my dad seemed to 
respect and like comedians more on TV than other personalities. And so there's that where you're like, oh, if I'm going to become likable to my dad, I have to be like Bill Murray. Hmm. 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 Uh, random pivot question, uh, top two Bill Murray movies. If someone's never heard of Bill Murray. If someone's never heard of Bill Murray, I feel like you have to go with Ghostbusters and What About Bob? Those are both Ah. huge. So you're not like really digging deep. If you are a big Bill Murray fan and haven't seen The Man Who Knows Too Little, you are (gasps) wasting your time. That's a great one that's overlooked if that's really what the question's going with. Is that, I'm done. So ignorant warning for the whole podcast community. That's not the Jim Jarmusch movie. Did he even have a Jim Jarmusch movie? I'm tripping. No, no, he does have a lot of Jim Jarmusch stuff. He loves him. Okay, cool. You're thinking the Coen brothers had one that was very similar. That was very straight. The Mm -hmm. Bill Murray one's very silly. Okay. The man who who knew too little. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what I'm watching this weekend. Awesome. Cool. Okay. So early on as a child, you realized, hey, my dad needs me to be this way in order for there to be peace in the house, in order for me to be loved. Mm -hmm. um, Which is, by the way, nothing he projected. That is the thing I projected onto myself. I don't want to give my dad like, like, my dad gave me a disorder. (laughs) It was I saw this angle and decided that was a life path. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. No shade. No shade to your dad. He was cool. No. The two times I said hi to him back in high school. Cool guy. <laughs> cool guy. Uh, He's great. Okay, we so, talk all the time. Oh, good, 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 good. Okay. So, okay. So then, um, then we get to high school. Super funny. We've talked about that. We covered that the last time you and I talked. Um, but maybe let me jump forward then, and then we can tease around this. So the, the comment that I heard you say, and I, I hate that I can't remember which podcast it was. I thought it was a girl though. Um, so, but I could be wrong, but you said something about the, the development of a punchline where you have to bury the punchline at the furthest, the deepest end of the sentence so that it makes the most impact. And I had never heard anything like that. And a part of my job right now as a communicator is, is to deliver kind of urban proverbs. So I take the Bible, break it down and I make it in a way that it's digestible for people. I like to say, I, I, I hope to put the cookies on like the bottom shelf, so everyone sure. can get them. Um, but I've started to, in, in, in my own naivete, adopt that, mm-hmm. putting the punchline, putting the, the meaty part of what you're trying to say, the deepest into the sentence as possible. Can you kind of riff a little bit on that, like where yeah, you landed course. on that? And then what are some variations of that technique and where'd you learn well, it? Well, first, I'm going to give credit right at the top to Drew Lynch. So Drew okay. Lynch is a comedian that got huge on America's Got Talent. But okay. when I first saw Drew Lynch do open mics, he didn't have a stutter. And then he got a concussion and then he got a stutter that was really bad. And he mm-hmm. had to learn how to say his jokes. And he was realizing when he was saying his jokes, because he had to stutter through the rest of the sentence afterwards, mm-hmm. that it was a thing that he had already shown all of his cards, but still had five words to go in the sentence before he had to get to the end. And so like, it became like, that became a mountain to him. So he switched over to make sure the last two, three syllables could possibly be like the release of everything. So it was out of necessity. Out of necessity for him, but watching him flip like that and then become from like just another one of us to a monstrously good uh, stand-up comic was like, hey, you know, we should all be paying attention to why Drew just became super good in the year. You know, like, mm. I know he was pushed out of necessity, but there's a lesson to be learned in this. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, 
there was, it's not like he's helped me in a long time, but like at the time when we were still both working the door at Flappers, he did like take apart one of my bits and was like, you should say the sentence like this, because when you do, like when you get to that point, everyone has that aha moment at the same time. So they'll all laugh together. And then you can sit there and kind of bask in it and whatever, like, and just really start to dominate the audience. Because if you do it at any other point in the sentence, you're still talking, people will catch it at multiple different times. Mm. And Mm. so you don't feel like you're in control of them and they don't feel like they're in control of you. If you make everyone have the moment at the same time, you're very much in control of that. Wow. So it's, it's totally like controlling the direction of the crowd. It's very, it's, it's intentional. Um, Mm -hmm. How, how important is syllable count? You touched on that a little bit. Um, How important when you're Drew, you know what it is. It is definitely important. I don't think it's important leading up to it's important when you're doing the thing. Cause even if it's like, this is the last word, you're like, well, if the last word is four or five syllables, it's going to feel like two, three words anyways. Oh. So it's like, you, so once you start the word and end the word, like again, like you're slipping your aha moment for the whole audience to feel it at the same time. If you make the audience actually laugh at the same time and they're really laughing, they, they give you a much more leeway in time and all the other things that you need. Mm. Although I will say this, if you don't mind, I'm going to backtrack a little bit more to, yeah. I also have a theory on what you need to do for setups. Yeah. Because yeah. Because it's do not know. only just the punchline. Yeah. The setups I feel like need to be simple. Okay. Almost like primitively simple and people definitely like when you see someone have like three sentences and they're like, cause they're told if you're going to speak for that long, there better be a good thing at the end. So they just believe it's a good thing at the end, no matter what they get. Okay. And I feel like almost every time I've ever seen someone say three sentences to get to one joke, it can be yeah. broken down to one very simple thing. It doesn't be like, okay, so my girlfriend, she talked to me about the grocery store. So I went to the grocery store and now I'm at peanut butter. And now here's a joke on peanut butter. Just say peanut butter is too crunchy, you know, like, <laughs> and the premise is so, you know, like peanut butter. Premise, is that's right. Yeah, exactly. No, the, the joke, like jazz is smooth. Peanut butter is not smooth. It's dry. So like mm. you get to something really like, blank is blank or I okay. feel blank about blank it's that's all premise needs to be so you can actually just nail the next part which would be the punchline that gives you the you know like that release so as a general well? yeah yeah no yeah 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 as okay. a general rule then are we saying that the shorter the premise the more powerful the punchline or maybe the more clear the premise because Chris Rock talked the more about clear. that like where people the, because people is like People, I forgot how Chris Rock said it, but some of the effect of like when people don't laugh at your joke is not that they don't understand the joke. It's that they don't understand your premise. Correct. And Chris Rock is a great example because he's the guy that says the premise over and over again, let you know you're mm-hmm. still in that chunk. You know, it's just like we need bullet control. <laughs> and then he'll bit. say the joke. And then he's like, we need bullet control. Next part of the joke. Bullets are just out. We need to control the bullets. We need bullet control. The next joke. He keeps going back to the same sentence to release these different punchlines for the same thing. Is that what's referred to as a tag? Is that a tag or is that something different? Okay. A tag is when you have an additional punchline after your punchline. Oh, okay. Can you talk to me? Uh, Okay. So, so, okay. So we have the punchline, you reverse Mm -hmm. engineer the joke to develop your premise. And Mm -hmm. then a tag is something that you add at the end of your punchline. What are some general tips that you have in developing a tag? And are they, are they more spontaneous or can they be intentionally planned? 
They are definitely intentionally planned, um, but they normally come by once you say a thing multiple times and you start to get a little bored of your own sentence, you therefore go back and make fun of your previous sentence. Um, okay. Okay. And so like, I'm trying to think like I have a bit on plan B. Sorry if this gets a little too much. Um, <laughs> no, let it ride. Let it ride. Where like it was when you, you can buy it on Amazon Prime, but it also suggests that you buy the store brand version. <laughs> and so then the tag therefore goes and people that bought that also bought a crib so that's just an additional joke off of the joke the crib joke can't exist without the rest of it but it is yeah. a way that i can build momentum through the joke oh man okay wow okay that's super helpful that that's helpful i always wondered about the tag um mm -hmm. what are some don't don't do's in premise composition uh i mean talk too much so many people want to talk too much. I don't want to hear anybody talk too much. Like when I see a good special, I don't go, well, that person talked a lot for no reason. You know, like that's really, but when you watch somebody who's new, you're just like, this person's just rambling and ranting. So mm. figure out what your rant is and get it to a thesis statement. That's all you need in it. It's just a thesis statement. Mm. And then you can start to break it down. And it's almost like the five paragraph thing you learned in high school. Yeah, yeah. Or here's your thesis paragraph, and then every sentence that breaks down the next. Yeah, you can do that, except you don't actually read the first paragraph when you do stand up. You, there's your mm -hmm. thesis statement, and then there's your next joke area, and you can tag on that as much as you can, and then go to your next joke area, which still is supporting the same thesis statement. Mm. Okay, that's so good. I would say the thesis statement should be. Realistically, when Twitter first started, I thought it was perfect because I was like, I should have a thesis statement within 140 characters. Yeah. Yeah. And so like it really broke that kind of down to me. Like it needs to be two sentences max. Mm. Because mm. also if you can get to the first part and then the next sentence, which is a totally different thing, that's a different chunk of the bit on the same premise. Yeah. Okay. I'm writing this down. Sorry. Big noob over here taking notes here. The grandpa taking analog notes here no uh, this is great okay. <laughs> all right oh uh, is that a manual twitter you have in front of you that's great this is this is og twitter <laughs> leather bound hipster notebook uh yeah uh okay uh, okay uh backing up here a little bit more this is if, if people play this oh. podcast in reverse then it'll make chronological sense Can i, I realize the way i'm going before at you it. leave no, yeah you're doing fine they should be serious <laughs> if the oh. premise is a joke then everything therefore as the tag you've already Ooh. not you've already left premise zone premise the premise has to be serious that's gold the premise has to be serious because that gives you an area to play in the other one you've already shot your load there's nothing left to play in. yeah 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 that's that's called a one-liner okay. that's the between a one-liner and uh, a bit Ooh. so this is good um, talk to me about finding your voice again, going backwards and backwards in time. So my apologies to the listener. Uh, but how did you find your unique voice? I have a, a, a gentleman that I meet with, like kind of a mentor of sorts. And uh -huh. he always says, he always says, uh, Gabe or Danny Gabe, uh, you have to find a way to find your way. Uh, mm -hmm. and that's like the most Yoda sentence I've ever heard. Cause it's like circular logic to me, but how did you, how did you find your voice? Are you finding your voice? No. I still okay. feel like I'm finding it. If we're ever evolving creatures, then our voices is ever evolving creatures. Mm. Um, 
Chappelle in the 90s does not sound or act like Chappelle right now. That's true. And it's not that he didn't have a voice in either of those times. You know, like he had two very distinct voices that are very different. In mm. fact, stand up, early stand up Chappelle is a different voice than the stand up, or uh, what is it, like Chappelle show? Chappelle. Those are yeah. all different things. And so we're constantly kind of trying to reinvent it. My favorite thing, which of course is everyone's favorite thing, is when you hear someone do an impression of you. <laughs> but when you get that, it's gold because you see what your voice is to them. And that, that to me took a lot of it where you're just like, I was told when I was before standup, I was dating a girl and she's like, my friends and I do impressions of you. And I was like, I want to hear that. And she was like, thought I was being like defensive. And I was like, no, no, no. I want to know what that even is. How do you do yeah. that? You know? And a lot of it is more my timing. Mm. It's the me, me taking the pause or like the way I'll just like rush a couple syllables and then stop and pause and then do a couple more. Like it's that became more of what it was than my actual tone or anything. Yeah. Uh, I asked my friend Thomas Dale, who has a very distinct on stage voice, how he found his because I was looking for it. And he told me the same thing your friend told you. He goes, mm. that just comes from you. Nobody can tell you how you are you. You mm. just discover that you're you and you start to lean into being you and you just become more you. Mm. So I is can't it, give okay. anyone like a direction where you're like, oh, dude, you drink this much coffee and then you run in a circle and then you go talk to a friend, you know, but like, what about what about is there merit or is there efficacy in uh, placing self-imposed limits? So like you talked about, I had to be funny because as a disorder, like that's how I was loved. Mm -hmm. And I think about like the famous Seinfeld thing where he's like, I painted myself in their corner because I said, I'm not going to use profanity in the joke. Because I thought, I told this joke, it wasn't funny. So I placed this limit on me. And aha, uh -huh, I found maybe a, a shade of my voice. Are there any self-imposed limits that you've placed on yourself in order to help you define your voice? I wouldn't call any of it limits because I'm not afraid to go to any of those directions. But I definitely feel like people don't want to hear me say certain things. Okay. You know, like, so if you don't talk like that with your friends, you don't talk like that to an audience either. Ooh, that's getting written down. That's in the book. Because like, I don't talk to my friends sexually, really. Yeah. You know, like, it's not a yeah. thing. Like when my friends and I get together, like, it's like, how did the date go? We don't go, did you, did you do it? You know, like mm. none of them. And I know that like, it's interesting. Like I'm going to throw Jeff Dye's name out there because he took note yeah. of that when we were hanging out at first because he dates beautiful women. So people are like, mm -hmm. Hey, I want to ask sexual questions about these beautiful women. And it's like to him, it's like, I don't want to talk like that about doing that. And I don't, I don't have that inkling to do that. And Got so it. when I go on stage, it always feels disingenuous if I talk that way at all, because I don't do that in regular person. So I tense up as a, as a regular person doing that, let alone on stage. Mm. Mm. So I just try to make it a giant conversation with the whole room where I'm the only one allowed to talk. Hmm. Mm. Can I ask you a hard question that'll cause you to reflect? Like uh, how that. long? How long have you been pursuing comedy like the way you're doing it with the same fervor that you have right now, with the same intensity and intentionality? How long has that been? I'm going to say 11 years, but in that 11 years, the intensity inside of that has also moved around a lot. Because mm. there was one specific year where I'm like, I'm not going to worry about if I'm missing open mics or not. I'm burnt out. But I'm also not giving up on this journey, but I need to not burn myself out. And mm. so then I found that every set was a little more precious and every set had a little more intensity in the goals. I gave myself goals for those sets. 
Awesome. And then wow. I learned how to kind of generate better sets every time through that by making them a little more sacred. Yeah. And yeah. then when I started doing more sets all of a sudden, and I took that sort of different energy from it as opposed to like, I guess I'm just going to say my five minutes and get up there and do that. Cause when you're bored of doing that, the audience gets bored of hearing you, even though it's your first time you've given them the excuse to not have that interest. But if you're mm. looking forward to this set, they can tell. And so they're paying it a little extra attention. So it's, I'm sure people are wondering, sorry to cut you off, but I know people are wondering because you're talking about too much or too little, and I'm sure it depends on the individual, but what was your sweet spot? Like how many open mics is like a good rhythm for you as far as like life balance and life goals? Like what did you fall into? What did you discover? What is a right amount for you? Five to seven a week. And Ooh. so sometimes it will be like, I did four yesterday Whoa. and so you're like i thought you I were know. gonna say like five to seven a month but you're saying a week wow oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, a grind. i burnt myself out i was doing three or four a day for like three four years and so, so do you think like, at this there was... point you've gotten your ten thousand hours like the mythical ten thousand hours of expertise like do you think based on the rate that you were going at for the last 11 years you think or how close do you think you are to that? Are you familiar with that whole philosophy? I'm oh, very familiar with it. It's talked okay. a lot about in stand-up because people go up and they do the 10,000 hours wrong where they're like, if I go up and bomb for 10,000 hours, I'll just stop bombing. You're like, no, you mastered bombing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, That's good. The, That's the mastery good. is doing the Wiley e. Coyote bit of finding 10,000 hours worth of ways to change up what you're currently doing in the middle of the moment. So you get better at adjusting on the spot. Mm, it's not, good. I did 10,000 of the same exact motion. You've mastered that one motion, but you also have mastered the result being bad. Mm. So I don't know because I feel like I've grown so much that there's, and I know specifically all these other things I need to learn. To where you go, well, no, I'm not a master at what I'm doing, but I'm definitely far better than I was three years ago, far better than That's I was awesome. 11 years ago. Oh yeah. But it did take me three or four years to figure out the direction. Mm. I got four years in and realized I was going in the direction I didn't even want to go in comedically and had to drop everything and erase everything and start new things. What was uh, internally, what was the feeling month one of that deconstruction? Like where you're like, <gasps> despair. The Roger. Yeah. Ouch. I wasted four years. I have nothing to show for four years. Oh man. What got you out but of that dark pit? I did well. Mm. I did. I did well and realized I have one bit that was like four sentences where there was a laugh after every sentence. And I can't throw that in to me having to talk for 45 seconds to get to one joke. And not feel like I'm bombing the entire time for the exception of these 30 seconds. And so mm. I, go, I think I have 30 seconds. And it was after four years. And people are up there after four years being like, I have 20 minutes. And you're like, I don't think you do. <laughs> but I know that I have 30 seconds and four years of experience. Mm. Of 30 seconds of what I believe should be the quality I should be producing. And so wow. I had to be like, I need to get rid of the rest of the junk. That's now junk. Okay, so you're touching on my my next question, the the building of a five minute set. I mean, what are the I don't know, hopefully you can pull a question out of this word salad I'm spewing here, but like <laughs> I <always> do. <laughs> you, you manage, you manage. Um, yeah, the, I mean, what do people need to know about building a set? I mean, you hinted on it there. I have 30, 40 seconds after four years of quality content, but what do people need to know about the building of five minutes? 
for context, I'm asked to speak for 35 to 40 minutes. And mm-hmm. where you're where your charge is yeah, you get, you get people from someone else's book. I do get to read <laughs> someone's book, it's been around for thousands of years. But like we're like people, I think we both have hard jobs in the sense that people show up to your stuff and say, okay, funny guy, make me laugh. I think mm-hmm. people show up to my job and they're like, all right, guy, give me hope. And, uh, and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> <It's way worse. laughs> yeah. They just manufacture it real quick. Um, yeah. But I mean, what do people who communicate professionally or just who have aspired to, what do they need to know about the building of a five minute set? Don't put too much pressure on it. They put pressure on every word. Like I've had people that are new to it be like, how many words do I need to have for a five minute set? And you're like, you're putting too much pressure on yourself. Okay. Nobody, no matter how much time someone gives you, they don't want it to be this high pressure moment. Hmm. No one's asking for the most anxious version of you. They really, I think everyone wants the calmest, most confident version of you. Wow. That's good. I'm writing that one down. Okay. Yeah, and so yeah. like all of this buildup, like I realized I was giving myself a lot of buildup. I was like started to puke before like almost every show for five years in. And I started like, then I started puking before shows because now all of a sudden I was putting pressure on myself and I wasn't being able to achieve what I wanted to achieve because I was like, I'm five years in and I'm only, I'm not good. And I'm mm. getting opportunities without any real skill set. Mm. And then I didn't get better until I was like, fuck this. I don't yeah. want, I don't want to puke. I want to be a calm, comfortable version of me. I'd rather be a calm, comfortable person of me bombing than an anxious person of me bombing. Come on. Because anxious on. people aren't killing. No, they're not. No. So you're just like, so there's that, like, don't put too much pressure on it. I even, I, I know for you, you have to be more linear. Yeah. If it falls off the rails for me, even better. Even really? better. Oh, <laughs> the more failure you can throw in my set, the better. Because at that point, it can become about the failure instead of what I was trying to say anyways. It just gives another tool for me to talk about something that's happening in the room that we're all experiencing. Okay, so more- you see that in music. You see that in music, like master musicians are comfortable improvising, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and so you're, you're riffing on that, and I want to hear the answer to that. But also, at, can you tag it with how do you sustain joy in the craft? Because... Like, I remember I, I'm in nowhere near where you are musically as far as guitar goes. But I remember when I started dabbling with music theory, I enjoyed those years where I didn't know what shape my hands were making and I didn't mm-hmm. know what chord was next. And I was like, that sounds cool. I invented something. And someone's like, no, that's just like a C7. You don't know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. Uh, just but I you missed... don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I miss that. I miss that. How do you sustain the joy? When you know all that. I don't know all that. Mm. That's the best part is I know what I don't know. And I walk right towards it. Mm. And so there's that. Like I spend, I remember early on being like, I'm not going to touch material and just talk to the audience and just bombing miserably with it. And now Mm. I can do well with that where you're like, I'm not going to touch any material and I'm going to be up there for 20 minutes and it's going to be fine. And it is. And it is. You just have to trust yourself. Mm. And like, and even if you make a mistake, it's okay. Yeah. Nobody, like, we, we all watch Dave Chappelle's latest specials. Yeah. And not going to say how I feel about it because it's a political statement these days. It's, but, not, uh... it's not about that at all. <laughs> it's about, it, there's zero. I thought it was great. You're going you're gonna to tell me. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to say how I feel about it, but <laughs> I caught what you did. No, but, but we don't think he wrote that down word for word. Right, right. 
And at no point, like, and people are just like, that's part of the, the trick of it. You're like, no, the trick of it is he knows where he's taking point A to point B. Mm. But for it to sound completely natural, you're not really worried about every syllable either. You know, like mm. you're just doing it, the thing, and you have confidence in yourself and you believe in yourself and you know that it's going to be okay, even if you say the sentence wrong. Mm. That's good. That's good. Man, even if all I got out of our conversation today, and by no way am I trying to land the plane, just FYI, you you tell me when you want to land the plane. I have a million questions. Uh, but even if if all I walk away with is no one wants the most anxious version of you, that yeah. is just gold. That's gold for me. Like, that's gold <laughs> for me. Now, what that speaks to me, given my personality. So like for what I do, um, I manuscript my whole thing. Uh, I'll go into an empty, and because I'm in the church world, like, giant building 2000 plus people. And I practice in front of an empty thing. I record it. I listen to it for a week and then I rewrite it. So my setup process is really obsessive compulsive, (laughs) which is not good. Uh, but it helps me get the anxiety out. What's your setup? Like you're going in doing a fresh five minutes, um, maybe even a familiar five minutes. What does that look like? No, here's my set list. It's right here in front of me. Um, (laughs) This is an old set list. I just happen to have it right here. And that so there's this nuts. word. It says dentist. Do your dentist bit. You know, okay. <laughs> like uh, storage words. Don't forget the tag on it. There's a whole another minute on it about how going to the dentist was like going to storage words. These are like notes for musicians who can't read music. Like it goes yeah. boom, boom, bah in the beginning. Right? That's what your sheet looks like. Yeah. Right? Yeah, no, exactly. Esoteric well, little trigger words. Yeah. And so there's, then there's, um, then there's the training for a new job. Yeah. I have that, how it's like going into when someone died. Cause they talked about the last person that was there a bunch and you get to sit at his old seat and they're just like, can you just do what Jerry used to do? He used to do it right here. We loved it. We, don't know how we, we love Jerry. It. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so like, there's those ideas. And then there's like, definitely like the tags, like, don't forget these tags, especially when I am about to go up. I don't need too much to be like, I want to do this bit. But I do need to be like, don't forget to do this new tag because sometimes you forget to. And no one's mad when you forget the tag, by the way, because they don't know the tags missing. That's right. We always tell people because we develop like communicators and stuff. And we say there's always three sermons, the one you the one you prepped, the one you preached and the one people (laughs) and and then the one you wish you preached, you know. That's exactly right for all the stand up. That's the same. There's always three. They're like, oh, great set. You're like, yeah, but I forgot this thing. The whole reason I went up there was I was going to do this thing and I forgot to say it. Like, everyone's yeah. happy, though. Everyone's happy. <laughs> it doesn't Dude, care. It doesn't matter. Exactly. We look for a reason to beat ourselves up instead of a reason to lift ourselves up. Yeah, come on. And after the job's done, what's the point? Lift yourself up yeah. for that set. Good set. Go to the next yeah. one. That's just the goal <laughs> for the next one. You just move the goal post over. But everyone's yeah. happy. Please, okay. keep, I don't feel like anybody gives themselves enough credit after a set or too much, David. Hmm. All right, follow-up question on the whole set setting up for your for your set. Um, what do you eat? What do you drink? I mean, this is really like nuts and bolts in the weeds here, but I'm sure there's geeks out there like me who would love to know, like, do you have a comfy outfit? Like, what are the really nitty-gritty kind of Mr. Miyagi type practical things that translate to something huge? That's so funny. Stage? Stand-up does have rules for that. Um, oh. The Steve Martin rule was dressed one step nicer than your audience, which oh, is why he started wearing a suit. But he's wearing a suit that didn't fit well because that was funny to him. He's dressing nicer, but it's also like I'm he's not breaking that fourth wall a little bit. Yeah. I'm just more prepared to be here right now. 
Um, <laughs> which good. is exactly, which is like that whole thought. I actually wear the same clothes every day. I'll show you. Um, my closet. Oh, there we has... go. We get a rare look viewer into uh, Aaron Michael Marsh's closet. Of 40 uh, black pretty t-shirts. Monochrome. It's no, because I have 40 of the same shirt and I have like five of the same jeans. And nice. I dress a cartoon character like that because I don't want to have to think about it. I want That's to, awesome. if I'm just on the street and someone goes, hey, you want a set? And you go, okay, cool. They're like, all right, it's in an hour. You're like, I don't have to go home, <laughs> but it's fine. Everything matches. <laughs> I don't have to worry about it. I that's not the way it has to be, but what it does have to be is people with really funny t-shirts don't do well on stage. People are reading that funny shirt and you don't want your shirt to be funnier than you, mm. you know? Well, cause yeah. people that are brand new or wear something very loud and okay. like, no, your outfit's funnier than you are. And that's bad. It comes off very cringy. And so you talked about the microphone well. too. Like nothing upstages you, huh? You yeah, Cause you, oh, yeah. you said I that on one of the podcast. Yeah. I moved oh. it to the back. Wow. I want it. And then I make myself stand at the front. So that way I can't even touch it if I want to. You want to try to not expose your weird nervous tics. Although I know in all of my pictures, I have my thumb and I'm pinching my t-shirt. Really? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, ah, oh, in all of them? Yeah. Your <laughs> shoe game's always well, on point. Bad. Every picture I've seen of you, you get, your shoe game's pretty strong. It's the only I thing look- in my closet that changes. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's it. When did that start? Your, your kind of sneakerhead mania there? I don't know if I have a sneakerhead mania, but I know exactly what you're talking about. About yeah. three or four years ago, yeah. I realized that shoes were like the thing that I would change out the least. And so you're like, oh, dude, when your shoes look all super ratty, the rest of you kind of follows. Mm-hmm. Dang. Well, yeah. And so you're just like, unless that's a part of what you're doing, but also when I'm up there, it's very antidotal as if I know something you don't, as if I'm teaching you something. Mm. And so I need to show this like, oh no, look, I look clean and prepared and thought out and I look presentable. I want Mm. people to be like, oh no, no, look, he's, even though it is a t-shirt and jeans, Mm. it's purposefully a t-shirt and jeans because the shoes also go with that look. There you go. There's continuity. Can yeah. you, not, not sure if you're comfortable with this, but I've known you a long time and you're pretty much comfortable saying anything. Uh, can you share an example of one time where you just bombed terribly? And how, how did you pull yourself out of that slump? I mean, you finished the bomb. <laughs> you don't tell the next audience about it. Like that's. <laughs> uh, okay. But tell this audience. Tell me, I know. Tell exactly, me tell but, you about. Okay. but that's also, no, but the lesson there is maybe I've done 10,000 open mics. That's yeah. 10,000 fresh slates. That's not. Mm. And so like, that's the wonderful thing about standup is every day you go up and it's a brand new fresh slate. Wow. And so that you don't really worry about the bombs too much. I know I've bombed miserably. I know I've embarrassed people by the things that I've just bombed so bad. I watched the audience get embarrassed. Mm. Um, the most embarrassing bombs is when you bomb in front of an audience that paid money and there's a lot of them. And so you mm. go, cool. You guys paid to watch me do this. This is mm. awful. Um, and I felt bad. And that was around the time that I was realizing that I needed to change up everything and I'm being too anxious. Mm. At this point in my life, I'm not sure I'm ever going to truly all the way bomb again. Because mm. I don't know. I turn on the audience, which now will turn into a thing that's not about. So like I started working at a new comedy theater and it's very clicky. And the first time I went up, I said, Hi. 
as you do when you get up there, you go, hi, I'm Aaron Michael Marsh. And yeah. all of them turned to their phones or looked straight to the wall. There wasn't any eyes left on me. And I went, I lost you at saying hello to you like a person. <laughs> right. And then, so like, as a, like, that was like where you would have had your normal bomb. If you're like, so dating's weird, you know, like, yeah, you're yeah, not yeah, going to yeah. break into that. You go, guys, if you can't look at me past me saying, hello, my name is, we're screwed. There's no way to connect here. And when you call them out on that and all you get people like looking up from their phone, yeah. you know, but you're also like, no, no, I'm asking for human connection out of you, yeah. you know, like, and I know that you guys are going to come up here and want the human connection too, but it's also like calling him out on that, which my friend was like, the good old Aaron turns on him immediately. But I'm also <laughs> like, no, I'm asking to reach out and to connect to people immediately. That's yeah. what I'm there for. I'm not there to see if this joke works. I'm there to see if I can connect with this person. Wow. So that's your primary objective is connection, yeah. not yeah. comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Co- comedy is the uh, the delivery system for connection. Because why am I saying jokes, Danny? <gasps> wow. <laughs> Dang. to me danny gabe and i love each other like brothers love danny i've known him since high school he made reference to that a little bit and you can tell when i have a really close friend i feel like i just talk differently to them and we go immediately deeper like danny gabe and cameron hood if you haven't listened to that episode cameron hoods is back there and danny gabe's first episode is back there in the vault somewhere there were like immediately great conversations because like we are ready like we know when we're going to talk to each other that it's like we're going to open up we're going to be honest. There's no question you can't ask and get a straight answer. And we're not afraid to be like, I'm scared. Or, you know, like, I'm confused. I'm hurt. Like, we're not afraid to do those things. I try to bring that <laughs> energy to a lot of people. And uh doesn't work out all the time. People get afraid. People are like, uh, too vulnerable. We don't want to know that you're afraid or scared or feeling anything. You know, like, it's just, it's a weird thing. Having the emotions and wanting to express them fully and then having people that are like, oh yeah, no, we don't, we don't want that. We spend so much of our energy not doing that, Aaron. So I'm happy to have these people in my life that I can do that with, to walk in completely open-hearted and just be like, yes, pick it what you need, take what you want, don't take what you don't want, all is good. Danny Gabe initially, by the way, called me to be like, hey, because he does a lot of sermons, as he mentioned, and he goes, I would like to talk to you about, you talked about joke structure a little bit. And I want to know about what you, how you present yourself and how you do stage stuff and how you write jokes. And I forgot to mention something. Um, breathing. It's really important to breathe very calm when you're on stage because it calms down everybody else. If you're tense, they get tense for you. If you breathe calm, they get calm and then you can get to where they need to go. That's a little thing I just happen to say right now. Um... It's, I find that very important. It's important to breathe twice calmly before you even speak into the microphone. So that's a, that's a fun thing to go through and learn when you're going to command a crowd. Um, what was the other thing I was going to say about that? Love, Danny. We have 15 minutes of this conversation that I'm trying to figure out if I want to release or not. It strays from 
like me talking to him about communicating and it gets to be much more personal where he's just like, what are you struggling with right now? And like those sort of things. Um, I may or may not release that. I w- I'm going to go back and listen. I know the conversation's good. It's just short, but it's good. So I want to release it. Um, we'll see how that works. I think I will. I think I will. Let me know if you want that or not. And then next week, next week we have Coco Briscoe's coming back. If you don't remember Coco Briscoe, she answered her phone last time at a bar and we talked while she was hanging out with some friends and it was a fun conversation. Since then, we mentioned that she has a TikTok called Dating in D.C. I mean, it's her name, Coco Briscoe, but she has a segment on it called Dating in D.C. that took over the whole TikTok about the date she was going on in D.C., which has turned into a stalker situation where the bartenders started stalking her because they just didn't like, I think, to see a woman go on dates like this. I don't know. It didn't seem like it was a lot of first dates, it sounded like. I don't see where the the problem is, but they didn't like it. And so they started stalking her and she found out there was a group text message about it and she mentioned it on her TikTok and she asked them to stop. And instead they called the police and the police arrested her. The police arrested her for her TikTok asking those people to stop harassing and stop um, just stalking her. And so I had her break that down because since the last time we talked to her, she's been arrested for making TikToks to her stalkers asking for them to stop. And so it's, uh, I think it's a wildly fascinating story. And so like that episode, the fun part about that is I just went, so tell me, we, we, I know what's happened since. I was like, tell me what happened since. And she just goes, it might be the least amount of talking I've done in any episode because she just tells the story well. And there is no, I, you didn't need to steer this ship. She knows how to talk. So you, I just let her go. And it's uh, fascinating. That's what's happening next week. Coco Briscoe, number two. We talk about her getting arrested for making TikToks next week. We have Dane and Gabe. You just heard. I love them dearly. Thank you very much for calling me and doing this again, allowing me to record it. I hope you guys got a lot out of this. I really, I recorded this episode yesterday. I feel, still feel high about just having a good conversation with a friend. Guys, thank you very much for listening, and thank you for putting up with me. Rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. And when I say the podcast, I mean this podcast. Rate, review, and subscribe to Putting Up With Aaron Michael Marsh. Do it. Whether I'm right or whether I'm wrong Whether I find a place in this world or never belong I've got to be me